Dear Heavenly Father, once again we come before you and we're thankful for each one that is able to be here this morning. Lord, we just want to dedicate this time once again to your worship. Lord, we ask that we would remember we sing these songs for your glory. Lord, what a blessing it is to sing of your love and the fact that you've washed us from our sins in your own blood. Dear Lord, we ask you to be with the special music as our ladies sing. and Lord, the preaching, that you would be able to use it to build, and to establish, to convict. Lord, to teach us how we ought to live in these last days. Lord, we ask that when it comes to the time of invitation, that each one of us would truly humble ourselves in the sight of a holy God and lift him up by a changed life that we may give glory to your name. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Bibles and open to Ephesians chapter 2. We're just going to take a, a moment here as we get started and just read a few of the verses that we've covered in the past several Sunday mornings and try to set a context. Uh, it's not been a hard series in the fact that it's been just one verse right after the other, but uh, the theme has been God's love and how it works in our lives and in the church. And, and uh, we've been in the book of Ephesians up until today, and we're going to just move to the book of Second Thessalonians in a moment. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us. God loved us enough to save us from our sins. Amen. And turn with me to chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, if you are saved and you, you should be thinking and contemplating and trying to understand God's love in a greater way. We get to verse 2 of chapter 4. It says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. You know, if I have God living on the inside, he's going to make me put up with other people on the outside. Amen? I mean, if, if God's love is not working on the outside, then maybe we better check about what's going on on the inside. And then last week, uh, Ephesians 5 verse 2, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now I was looking for a passage, a verse, just to kind of sum all of these things together and, and uh, close out this uh, series on Sunday mornings. And I want you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And Paul is finishing his letter, his last letter to the church at Thessalonica. I can't quite get it right in Greek, but I think it's pretty close to Thessaloniki, if I'm not uh, mistaken. I got a nod, so I'm on the right track. Uh, I know I'll never pass for Greek, but I try once in a while. Uh, especially when I'm at a good restaurant. Amen. Uh, but the simple truth of the matter is, Paul was writing to this church. He's finishing his last comments, and as often the, the case is, it just seems that Paul packs several lifetimes of learning into these last chapters. I mean, Paul was not ignorant of his future. It was not bright at this point. Uh, this church at Thessalonica had gone through an awful lot. Read chapter 2. Somebody had written a letter to them, signed Paul's name to it, and told them that Jesus had already come back, the resurrection was past, 
and they were left behind. Now, they did not have what you and I have today. They got this letter. It had Paul's name on it. It looked authentic. They believed it. And it said it overthrew the faith of some of them in that church. Aren't you glad we got a whole Bible today? And Paul was writing and he said, that letter didn't come from me. He said, let me explain to you what is going to happen. And here in in chapter 3, and I just want to read verse 5 and then we'll pick up the context. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. How many of you would like that verse lived out in your life? And isn't that a wonderful, wonderful prayer that Paul is praying? And if he is praying this prayer for the believers in Thessalonica... It's something that you and I ought to be praying for in our lives as well. Amen? The Lord to direct our hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Tell you what, this flies in the face. I mean, this is the antithesis of this worldly philosophy. Follow your heart. It's the exact opposite of that. It says the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. You know what? This is something, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but how many of you have ever tried to go somewhere you've never been before? I think Brother Franz in the Sunday school was talking about having to be directed up to the top of that mountain in the rainforest and things. And... uh, Uh, I'll tell you, uh, you go certain places, you're going to want a guide. In fact, you have to have one. Uh, Brother Ungry, our missionary in Alaska, if you go bear hunting, brown bear hunting in, in Alaska, you must have a licensed Alaska guide to go with you. You cannot just go get a hunting license and go by yourself. You want me to tell you why? Because they don't want you becoming an after-dinner snack. And uh, it has happened, it, it had happened in history to a point to where they said, we're not going to let any of these uh, green foots or tender toes from, tenderfoot is the term, from the lower 48 go hunting Uh, by themselves if they're going hunting for bear because it's too dangerous. I'll tell you what. You try to seek God's love on your own and you're going to get in trouble. I never make light, but I do want people to understand Uh, There are many people that have problems hearing voices. And my standard statement when someone comes and says, Pastor, I hear voices. I said, "You, you have to understand something. You're tuned into the wrong channel. I'm not trying to make light of that in any way, but you can tune yourself in to all kinds of things that are out there. The devil is the prince and power of the air. It's full of his information. That's why Paul is praying, the Lord, direct your hearts. You've got to have some direction in this thing. Love. How many people have sought love? Valentine's Day is coming up. If you really love her, you'll send her flowers. 
No, if you really love her, you're going to buy one of those four and a half foot tall Vermont teddy bears and send it to her, right? In the office, they say. On, I heard it on the commercial. Now, what in the world is she supposed to do with a four and a half foot tall teddy bear in the office? Have you ever figured this advertising stuff out? I'll tell you what, most of it doesn't make a lot of sense, now does it? And by the way, just because you buy people things, does that mean you love them? No. The greatest gifts of life cost very little of money. Their price is paid in heart and soul. Many have sold their very soul trying to get love. And they only find the sands of time sifting through their clenched fist as they end this mortal struggle knowing that they've never gotten what they tried for. But if you're here today and you're saved, you don't need to be that way. You have the love of God. It is greater far than anything man can understand. And until you get God's love, you'll never be able to fully comprehend or enjoy the love between other human beings the way you ought to. And so as we look at this one verse, it says, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Now let's just take that first phrase, The Lord direct your hearts. Now, the first word there is and. That means it's connected to the other verses that are preceding it here. And, of course, let's pick up this context. Um, uh, verse 3, uh, verse 1 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. If you are going to get to verse 5, you got to start in verse 1. That is simple obedience to the Word of God. How many of you obeyed everything you possibly could in the Word of God this past week? I'm just showing you what you ought to do should we have someone here like that. Because as mortal human beings, none of us ever attain to that. Now that's a hard thought. Because we want to believe we're doing okay, right? We want to believe we're doing what's right. Hello? But because the standard is God in His holiness, because the standard is God's Word, we're never going to match up. The Christian life is the struggle to let God have his way. Understanding that we're going to mess up. Now, don't use that as an excuse to really do a royal job of it, all right? But understand that, hey, there are things that I can't attain to. But don't let me stop from getting a hold of the things that I can. I mean, you remember my story about the country preacher? He's out visiting old Zed on the farm. And he said, now, Zed, if you had a million dollars, would you give half of it to the Lord? And he thought a minute and said, well, preacher, you know, if I had a million dollars, I'd give half of it to the Lord. 
And he said, well, Zed, what if you only had $100,000? Would you give half of that to the Lord? Well, come to think of it, he said, I'd do that. He said, but Zed, what if you had $20? He said, preacher, that isn't fair. You knew I sold my cow last week. You see how that works? Now, I don't know if that ever happened or not. But it kind of illustrates the point. What we need to have happen is we need to obey where we can. We need to start where we are. We need to ask God to give us grace. And let's be careful not to fall into the rut of, well, this week wasn't as bad as last week. Bad is still bad. Right? Let's not fall into that rut. We've got to let the Word of God have its course. God's Word was given to us. To change us. Amen. You see, you can't have your heart directed in God's love until you let God's word have its course. That's why you hear me talking often about getting saved. If you won't obey the word in salvation, what are you going to obey God's word in, my friend? If you're saved, You ought to obey God's word in baptism and church membership. You just ought to do those things. They are understood in the scriptures. Somebody said, well, there's no verse in the Bible that says you shouldn't, that you have to be a member of a church. Um, I, I don't know where that kind of thought process comes from. You have to deny three quarters of your New Testament to make that statement. Everything from Acts chapter 2 to Revelation chapter 4 through by 4 about a local church. You can't get past that. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. What are you baptized into, my friend? I'm baptized into the universal invisible body of Christ that spans all generations Okay, well, next time you get sick and need somebody to pray for you, call them. If you want somebody real and living to pray for you, be a part of a church. Amen? I mean, some people really like this invisible universal thing because they really enjoy the universal invisible offerings that they have to give. You know what? It doesn't cost you a penny to be a part of a universal invisible anything, now does it? But where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So I love the local assembly. Amen? You've got to let the Word of God have its free course. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Wow. Aren't you glad it's God's job to keep you from evil and not yours? Now, he expects you to do some things. And he wants you to make life decisions that will protect you, make No provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I'll tell you what, if you make provision, that old flesh is going to rise up and go do those things. But if you allow the Lord, he'll protect you. Amen. And then verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both... That ye both do 
and will do the things which we command you. Now, this idea right here is, he says, we got confidence. Paul says, we know your church. We know how you received the gospel and there was suffering and, and uh, persecution and all of these things. And you just did right. You're doing it right now. Well, that's good. But if you don't have the will do, the do doesn't mean much, does it? Do you get what I'm saying there? Just because you're doing it today is not a guarantee of tomorrow. God's grace tells us that we have tomorrow. This is one of the things I tell married couples when I counsel them and stuff. I said the most wonderful thing about marriage is the promise of tomorrow. Hey, guess what? You're going to mess up today sometime. It may not be today, day, but it may be tomorrow sometime. You're going to mess up. But you know, if you have a godly marriage, you've promised to forgive one another and tomorrow. That's it's such such a wonderful thing. And God has promised us the same thing, amen? In our relationship with Him. Should we step out of the way tomorrow, today or tomorrow? My grace is sufficient for thee, amen? He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The reason why we're spending our time here is because the Lord cannot direct your heart unless your heart is directable. Have you ever met somebody who just didn't know where they were going, didn't know what they were doing, and said they wanted help, but when you tried to give it to them, you found out quickly that they were only giving lip service to that idea, that they had no intention of actually getting any real help from anybody. You see, this whole idea of direction, the Lord direct your hearts, that's a verb. That means to move in a given direction. Well, who decides what the direction is? Well, if the Lord is doing the, direct, the directing, that means he is the one that decides which direction is correct. How many of you have studied your Bible enough and understood God's word enough to know that the Bible said to do something that didn't feel right to you? You ever been there? I know the Bible says this, but, but it, it doesn't make sense to me. Well, guess what? It's okay. God is not subject to your sense. You really need to make your sense subject to his. Amen. This is what direct means. You see, your heart will not direct itself properly. In fact, if you allow your heart to give you direction, what does the Bible tell us? If you know the verse, say it with me. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Don't follow your heart. Let God direct it. God's direction is Always right. We're getting ready to leave on this trip and I'm studying the maps and looking at things and I saw this one road and I said, I wonder if that road will be open this time of year in California. It looked like it went up over the mountains. And so I called a, a preacher we're visiting out there and he said, here's who you need to call. He lives very close. He knows all those roads. And, and uh, I said, preacher, what about this road up over here? He he said, oh, don't do that. And I said, well, what? he said, that's a dangerous road. He said, we haven't had a lot of snow. 
He said, but it's just switchback after switchback. He said, it, it is, uh, he said, I can't imagine you're not going to encounter ice. If you can drive on ice, you'll be okay. I said, preacher, I don't know anybody who can drive on ice. Uh, I said, uh, I, I, he said, well, he said, if that were me, I wouldn't take my family up there. I said, well, that's why I'm calling you, brother. I'm going to listen. I mean, there's still a part of me that just says, boy, I wonder if I can do that. But you know something? I want to come back. And as tempted as I am to want to drive up over that mountain, I'm telling you publicly so my wife will remind me. I want to receive direction from somebody who knows the roads and has driven them. Because if you don't, you can get into an awful lot of trouble. I mean, how many people got into trouble Friday night? They told them, the highway's closed. So what did they do? Oh, it doesn't mean me. How often have we done that to the Lord? How does the Lord direct your hearts? Well, you're getting one of them right now. Preaching is how the Lord directs your heart. Your Bible reading schedule. The Lord will direct your hearts. Prayer. You know what? If you really surrender to the Lord, the Lord, the Holy Spirit of God will not allow you to pray for things on and on that he doesn't want you praying for. You ever had a real burden for something and all of a sudden it just disappears? Maybe that's the Lord directing your heart. You see, the Lord has to do the direction. Because only he truly understands his love. If you don't allow him to take you there, you're never going to get there. Amen? So we look the next one. It says, the Lord direct your hearts. Now there's two places he wants it directed. One is into The love of God. Now, I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. And I I don't mean just to be critical of commentaries continually, but I'll tell you what, every time I try to look something up in a commentary, I get disappointed. It talks about Directing your heart into the love of God. The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Do you know what most commentaries do with that phrase? Just ignore it. Or they just say, well, you you just need to learn to um, have love like God has love. Well, why don't you let the Bible tell you what it means? Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God. Well, if Paul is saying, the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God, and over here John tells us, this is the love of God, maybe we ought to pay attention. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. Okay? Step one. And, and, His commandments are not grievous. How many of you have ever struggled to get to church on Sunday morning? Nobody? Oh, come on now. How many of you have ever struggled to make it to church on Sunday? I mean, my hand's up and I just got to go downstairs. You know what? There's going to be a time when you struggle to do right. But the love of God 
makes it easy to struggle because it's not grievous to come to church. It's where I belong. Amen? How many of you have ever watched that offering plate come by going, No! It's too much! I can't do it! You know what? The love of God is His commandments are not grievous. It's a pleasure to have something to give to God. But God gives some direction, and this sermon's not about giving, but you see, the love of God is keeping His commandments not just doing my duty, not just getting it done, not just gripping onto the windowsill and ripping out my fingernails so I don't fall off so that I can accomplish a keeping of His commandment. It's doing His commandment and it's not grievous to do it. You see... This wonderful thing about love is that it changes you. When you find that person and you get married, let me tell you something. You better learn to love the things they love or you're not going very far. Amen, Brother Franz? I mean, I think Ashley's done a pretty good job on Peter. Amen? Now, don't tell her I said that. Somebody's going to. She'll get mad at me. But If you really love someone or something, there's going to be an agreement on things that you do together. Amen? You say, no, Pastor, I hate all these illustrations about marriage because I'm not married. Well, I I want you to understand something. It's a picture that God uses when he pictures his love for us, his love for his church. And so, though it may be hurtful that things aren't there in that part of your life, but don't allow that to rob you from having the love that God wants to have in your life. He wants to teach you to love what he loves. Have you ever wondered why God said so many things are wrong in the Bible? Because they'll kill you, my friend. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth what? Death. Now, his commandments are not for his benefit. I will tell you, in my home, there are certain things that I want out of my children and and my family, certain things I desire, and, and I'll just be plainly honest. They are for my benefit. I am the dad and I'm going to make this rule and I I want it obeyed. Do you hear me, Stephen? (laughs) Better say amen. We went over this before the certain... No. (laughs) Just teasing. But the simple truth is we as human beings do that. God doesn't. Do you realize he has never made a rule that is to his benefit. It is Every one of them is for our benefit. That's what love is really about. And if you have asked God to direct your heart into his love, you'll keep his commandments and his commandments won't be grievous. 
because he'll change your understanding to know that what he asks is the absolute best thing that could ever happen to you. Amen? This is the love of God. It's not natural to love the things that God loves. It's not natural to take your hands off the steering wheel of your life and just sit there and let God do the directing. How many accidents have been caused because someone thought the driver didn't know where he was going and grabbed a hold of the wheel and tried to change it? How many people have lost their lives in airplanes because they refused to believe what was on their instrument panel? My mother-in-law was in a plane. And they tell me this. I've never wanted to experience it. So I'm not worried about getting my pilot's license. I'm really not. They say, if you fly long enough, you will, you will come to a point to where you will become disoriented. You won't be able to tell whether you're flying the plane up or flying the plane right into the ground. Your mind will stop working. Your senses will fail you. And if you do not trust what is on that instrument panel, you will die. Talk to the Kennedy family. That's what happened. If you do not allow the Lord to direct your heart into his love, you're never getting there. I don't care how wonderful you feel about it. It won't change the facts. You've got to let the Lord direct your heart into his love. And this is the love of God, that you keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Amen? Now let's go back to Second Thessalonians. We've got one more phrase. It says, and into the patient waiting for Christ. Not only must your heart be directed into the love of God, your heart must be directed into the patient waiting for Christ. Now, boy, you can get some really interesting things out of commentaries on this phrase. Let me tell you what. Um, let's go James chapter 5. Let's go to James chapter 5. The Bible is its own best commentary. But let me tell you something. The only way you can allow the Bible to be the commentary, its own commentary, is you have to be familiar with the whole thing. How many of you have ever read your Bible through one complete time in your whole life? How many of you have read it 25 times or more? I don't see any hands going up. Uh, that's a pretty low number, isn't it? For God's word? How many times have you read through the Bible, preacher? Well, purposely I've tried not to keep that number because it could make you proud. I met a preacher once. He said, I've read my Bible through once a month for the last, I can't remember how many years, 10 or 15 years. Uh, I have challenged you just because you read your Bible doesn't mean you know anything that's in it. He had no excuse, but he didn't know anything that was in it. Let me tell you that. 
If you're going to let the Bible be its commentary, you're going to have to read it through a lot. You have to read your Bible a lot to get familiar with it. But look at James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now, I believe those two passages are talking about the same thing. It is simply into the patient waiting for Christ. What are we waiting for Christ to do, my friend? Come back. It's that simple. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. How many of you think the Lord's been gone a long time? Would you raise your hand in agreement with me or say amen or something there? I mean, 2,000 years qualifies for a long time in anybody's. Well, not quite 2,000. Uh, 2,960 some years at this point, <laughs> and counting, by the way. We're still waiting for the Lord to come back. It's a long time. Your heart must be directed into the patience, patient waiting for Christ. Now, if I am waiting for Christ in patience, what does that mean? Well, let me give a few applications. Number one, it means Jesus is still in control, even if things don't look too good. Now, I don't know anybody here this morning that, that, and I comment on politics, and I hope I don't offend too many people that way, but. I don't know too many people that love this country that are excited about the direction our nation is headed in. Can I say that? I think we'd have a general consensus there. And the sad thing is the people who like the direction that our country is headed in are upset because it's not headed there faster. But I'm upset because it's headed in the wrong direction. I am sick and tired of hearing of a woman's right to choose and not a word about the life of the little baby that has to be murdered so she can make her choice. I'm sick of hearing about that. I'm sick of hearing that marriage needs to be expanded to be defined as any two people who want to be married together. How many of you heard the new one? There are now three names on a child's birth certificate in Florida. Because the uh, sodomite mothers, lesbian mothers of this child and the donor for the child to be born, all three of them are now listed on the birth certificate. Now, if you were that child, which has been born, when you get old enough to understand what went on, you look at your birth certificate and you got three names on it. Is that going to help you understand what life is about? Or is it going to make you confused? Let me, let me tell you something. We live in a crazy world. Uh, God instituted marriage. He has the right to define it. And if you want something else, go get it. God says you have the right to disobey him. Exercise that right. 
But don't demand that I rewrite the scriptures to agree with your demands. We're not going to. Because we believe in God's word. Amen? But let me tell you something. Even though all these horrible things are going on, he's still in charge. I'm not going to reach over and grab a hold of the steering wheel. Because I want him to do the directing, not me. How many of you have ever felt like pushing the panic button? I mean, don't you just wish you had one of those things? When in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. Amen. You know, we have people. We have men, excuse me, who go to college and study theology and they will stand up in a pulpit and they say, you know, we, we need to update the word of God. It's not working in our modern society. How many of you give a testimony that God's word has worked in your heart? Would you say amen to that today? Let me tell you something. It still works. It doesn't need improved. It needs obeyed. That's the love of God. Why do I need to patiently wait for Christ? Uh, Because if I don't, I'm going to start disobeying his word. And if I start disobeying his word, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm not going to be directed into his love. How many of you have ever had a financial reversal? You didn't know what to do. Hey, uh, let me tell you something. Let me challenge you that your heart needs to be guided into, directed into the patient waiting for Christ. You say, but what am I supposed to do? Um, The Bible gives some directions, does it not? Uh, Follow them. How about raising children in this dark and dreary age? I had a well-meaning preacher a while back who says, well, he says, you're raising your children and I'm raising my grandchildren all to be martyrs. He said, you know something, preacher? That may well be the case, but that's not where I'm living. I'm not going to live there because I'm waiting for him to come back. And if it comes time to give my life for the cause of Christ, I got a promise in his word that he'll give me the grace. But you know what? It's not here. And I'm not going to waste my time worrying about it. Because, you see, he's got some things for me to do before he gets back. When he knocks at that door, the Bible says when he sounds that trumpet, how many of you want to be ready when the trumpet sounds? Well, you better get back to that first one. Get your heart guided into, directed into the love of God so you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. The patience of waiting for Christ is the glue that holds our relationship with God together and gives us the strength to keep going even when everything else around us stops. I'd hate to tell you, I'd hate to sit here and think about how many... Men I went to Bible college with. How many preachers I knew growing up in the ministry. How many I know now in the ministry that have turned their back on this book called the Bible. That have changed what they believed and how they lived for God. That have adopted marketing instead of evangelism. That have given up the true worship of the true God for a Hollywood-style entertainment. It, It breaks my heart. 
But I'm not going to live there, my friend. I want to keep my focus on Jesus is coming back. And he's got some things for us to do. That's why we sing those hymns. I love that song. He loves me, he loves me, he loves me, this I know. Now, I'm not a very good singer, but I sure enjoy singing that song with everybody else and nobody can hear me, amen? Unless I forget to turn my mic off and then I hope Zach mutes it. But I'll tell you, I want to wait for his coming. What happens if your health fails? Wait a minute. He's still in control. He's still in charge. Now, we're going to look at one more story. I'm going to try to finish somewhat on time. Mark chapter 4. Not going to be here for a couple Sundays, so I've got to get it all in. Amen? Mark chapter 4. Just a quick story here. An illustration from the scriptures. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And the same day when the even was come, he, this is Jesus speaking, saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. So here we have the commandment that Jesus gave. He said, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of the wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillow. Now, do you get the picture that is here? One of these days, the Lord's going to give us somebody with some artistic talent. I could describe something to them and they could put it in a picture. Now here, you imagine this little wooden boat, maybe 25 feet long, 15, 20 feet long. Eight or ten guys in it. I mean, it's loaded up to capacity. And the water inside the ship is not very far from meeting the water outside the ship. It said the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And as you look, here are these 12 disciples, the apostles, with their hands, with their coats, with their hats. I, I don't know what they got. I, I don't think they have the old standard galvanized number five bucket. I don't think that existed in those days. And I mean, they're just trying to get the water out of the ship and they're losing the battle. And you look back and here's Jesus laying in the hinder part of the ship as the ship arcs up and the water's lapping at his feet. His robes are wet. And he's asleep. And the disciples hit the panic button. Now look at the question they ask him. Verse 38, the last phrase. Master, carest thou not that we perish? Do you get that question? Uh, who was in the ship with them? Was Jesus in the ship? If the ship went down, humanly speaking, where was Jesus going? You see, one of the ways that you know you're in a panic is when you're more concerned about yourself than you are about the Lord. Isn't that an incredible thought? You can know that you're always wrong when you're more concerned about what you're experiencing than but what you are doing for the Lord. Got to get a hold of that one. 
Otherwise, you'll never patiently wait for the coming of the Lord. Was Jesus in control when the ship was full of water? His human body needed rest, yes. But there was a lot more to Jesus than just his humanness, amen? As God, he could see the whole thing happening. And what happens? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Now look at verse 40. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have? What? No faith. See, Jesus said, Let us pass over to the other side. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you. That where I am, there you may be also. Well, the storm arose. Jesus was asleep. Well, let me tell you something. The storms of life will arise. But Jesus has already ascended into heaven. He's not asleep. He's on the right hand of the Father ever to intercede for us. You know, we don't even know how to pray as we ought to. But if you'll let the Lord direct your hearts into his love, I think those prayers will have a lot better chance of getting through. Amen. If you allow the Lord to direct your heart into the patient waiting for Christ, uh, you'll pray differently than you do now. Amen? You see, Jesus is coming back. He didn't wait until it was too late. Contrary to popular belief, no one was harmed in the telling of this story. Amen? Not one disciple was washed overboard and lost at sea. Do you know how many people died on the Sea of Galilee through the centuries? Lots. Do you know how many people died in this story? None. Do you know how many people Jesus has lost? None. John chapter 17, he said, None of them that you gave me is lost save one, the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. You don't have to worry about Jesus losing you. Oh, it may feel like it sometimes. But do yourself a favor and tell your feelings to shut up and believe the word of God. Amen? If you don't say amen, we'll have to start over again. Now we're going to get some. Let's just read our verse in 2 Thessalonians and then we'll be done. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and Lord... I pray that we would understand a little better of what this verse is speaking of, what Paul was praying for, for the Thessalonican Christians. And Lord, that we would surrender. Lord, I pray that we would not cry out, Master, carest thou not that we perish. But Lord that we would be more concerned about you than we are about ourselves. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. You did leave us so many promises in your word. You're coming back. Let us stop looking at the world and what they're doing, and look unto you and what we should be doing. Lord, 
direct our hearts into your love and into the patient waiting of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Franz, if you'll come and lead us in the hymn of invitation. If you need to come and pray, the altar is...